welcome to the Sean Green Show. I am Sean Green. I want to thank everybody out there for listening. Hey, make sure you guys check out SeanGreenShow.com. That is uh, SeanGreenShow.com. All the latest news, interviews, podcasts, and uh, a nice little video for you guys to check out there on SeanGreenShow.com. You can also check me out on WGNPlus.com. All the great stuff is all up there on WGN Plus. Um, Today is Monday, brand new week. A lot of stuff I'm going to throw at you. And um, I talk to him pretty much every two weeks now. Is Ray Carcillo. He's the review editor at Electronic Gaming Monthly, egmnow.com, and raycarcillo.com. He's here to talk to us about all video games, all video games all the time. So let's bring him in right now on my Super Celebrity Hotline. Hey, what's going on, buddy? How much, Sean? How you doing, dude? Hey, I'm doing all right. So, all right. One of my favorite games is uh, NBA 2K, the, the whole 2K series. Uh, 2K15, um, I loved it. Uh, they clear, they cleared out a lot of bugs that was uh, going on with uh, 14. So, uh, I'm reading the news, and I'm hearing that Spike Lee is going to direct the career mode for 2K16. What's the deal with that? So, yeah, so... Uh, the 2K series has always been big about, and 2K in general, working with, you know, top-notch talent, you know, Hollywood talent, trying to get people to work with their soundtracks and do all this stuff. But now they, they, they want to take it a step further, and they feel that their career mode needs a little bit of a shot in the arm, especially from the storytelling standpoint. So uh, probably the biggest basketball fan in the world, or at least definitely in Hollywood, you've seen that every Knicks game uh, is Spike Lee. Uh, so they, what they've done is, is they figure uh, they're going to bring him in. I don't know what exactly he's going to do with the storyline yet because they've only said, you know, they're only saying now it's a Spike, you know, it's a Spike Lee joint. You know, it's, it's all they've they claimed at this point. But uh, I imagine it's, they're going to try and give it more of, an, uh, more of an urban, grittier feel, you know, something that would be, you know, you would expect from Spike Lee uh, to give you a more in-depth, a more elaborate, and a more involved storyline that players can really kind of get into and really kind of make it feel like it's something that you can relate to and it's something that is truly your own and get, keep, keep you playing career mode. Yeah, because, you know what, I tried to play, I, like I said, I love the 2K series, and I never really gave a crack at the career mode until, you know, uh, till the 15. And I gave, I gave it a crack, and I, I honestly, I got kind of confused and I got kind of bored at the career mode. And I'm like, okay, I'm I'm tired of trying to build a player and 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 get them to a team and all this other other stuff. So I'm really interested to see what they would do because I'm quite sure with the way Spike Lee and his whole the way he directs, I think what he can and this is just an idea I'm tossing out there. Maybe he can just you know throw a couple of um, real life scenarios that an NBA player goes to go through once they actually get signed because, you know, most of these young NBA players, they are signed at a young age. They get all this money and they don't know what to do with it. So they probably have, you know, they have friends that, you know, that doesn't have that much success as them. And, you know, they'll get those friends that want to mooch off you. Then you have, you know, all kinds of other, you know, bad scenarios that can actually happen. And I'm wondering if, you know, Spike can throw that type of scenario into a video game? And if so, would, would it change the rating of the game or uh, anything like that? That's true. I mean, they, they, the 2K does have to be careful. I mean, obviously most sports games are rated uh, E for everyone, but if they do go too far in depth with the storyline, like you mentioned, like, you know, an ent- you know a bunch, bunch of people in your entourage looking for handouts, uh, 
you know, and depending on language, depending on what they do with it, it could bump the rating up to a T or even an M rating, uh, depending on how far in depth the spike goes. But it could be something that a sports game, the sports game community could really benefit from because it could be really a huge shakeup that, that the game, that the franchise needs and sports games in general kind of need. Because like you mentioned, and I agree with you, most career modes, not just NBA 2K, most career modes, Kind of pretty stale after a while. I, I personally find myself just going back to regular franchise or, or GM mode and just being in control of everything and not even worrying about the career because it's never, it never tells a story in depth or makes you feel like you actually are the player enough to, tell, to hold your attention. Yeah, yeah. Now, one, another story I definitely wanted to talk to you about was about uh, Gamefly and the fact that they're introducing um, video game a video game streaming service, and I'm trying to figure out why why would something like this happen now when you can just you know stream online from your video game console. Well, I mean, it's, it's something that people have been have been trying to get into for a while. It's, uh, OnLive did it first, but they obviously they weren't going to succeed. They're, they're they're going bankrupt. Um, you know, PlayStation Now is trying to do that. I think it's just. The next step, you know, a lot of companies have wanted to try and become the Netflix of games, but because Gamefly already kind of had that foot in the door with the with the mail service, that they're trying to, you know, to keep their company fresh and relevant because, like you said, there already are so many streaming services that you can do through gaming systems, that they're trying to, you know, with the backing of their, their massive library, trying to make it so that they become, they could become the premier gaming service because otherwise... They're probably going to go belly up just like online did because, um, you know, their their model is kind of outdated at this point. Wow. Now, I mean, and and how would something like that work as far as you know when you when you buy a physical copy of the game? There's so much memory you have to have. I mean, will they have issues with? Is it going to be you know some kind of a separate? Uh, console? Would it be in conjunction with the console you already have, or uh, is this something in this in this Genesis phase, and they're still trying to figure it out? It seems to be more in the Genesis stage, but it feels like, it, it, from what I understand, that you know, they're first going to they're not going to do their own system. They're not going to do any kind of an add-on. It's going to be something more where it's going to be you know much like Netflix through the system itself. And what they'll do is they'll have bundles. You know, for $7 a month or, or for $10 a month, depending on what package you want to get, they said they're going to have a whole range of different packages. You'll get certain games that will then be swapped out depending on your preferences or depending on age. Like they said they're going to have a Lego game bundle so that whenever a new Lego game comes out, for somebody that, you know, for $7 a month, a new Lego game comes out, boom, that's going to be added to your collection. Obviously, you're only going to have access to that, though, for as long as you keep, uh, keep up the service. Uh, but, you know, in a way, you know, there's already, you know, like PS Plus already kind of does that, right? Xbox Live already kind of does that with the games with gold. Um, you know, if, if you already have those services, you're already kind of getting something, something like that. Gamefly really has a package that really just appeals to you. I don't see the overall, um, you know, appeal to the service. Because, like you said, you can, at this point... You know, with, with all these serv- other services, it's so easy to stream stuff to your console that it kind of just feels like this is this is a, a hail mary attempt by GameFly to stay relevant. <laughs> okay, great. Now, um, another one, one last story I definitely wanted to uh, talk to you about was the um, the the first 
uh, annual video game Hall of Fame awards. Now, I know they have like Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I think the Video Game Hall of Fame is long overdue. Um, what were the um, the inductees, and and how did they uh, kind of like sort all this stuff out? So the, the Strong Museum of Play, which is up in Rochester, New York, uh, basically got together a bunch of game journalists, game developers, game historians, and they came up with a list of 15 games that they then voted on, and the top six were inducted as the first class into what will now be a permanent structure inside the Strong Museum, which will be the Game Hall of Fame. Um, and the inductees were Super Mario Brothers, uh, Pong, Pac-Man, uh, World of Warcraft, uh, Doom, and um, oh, I'm blanking on the sixth one right now. Give me a second. Mario <laughs> um, Brothers, Pong, Pac-Man, Doom, World of Warcraft. It's so hard to remember all six. Um, yeah, I'm trying to find that. That was it. Sims, Zelda. I don't. The Sims, I think, was nominated, but the Sims didn't actually get inducted. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a bunch of nominated. There's a bunch of nominated. Sonic, Sonic did, uh, was nominated. Legend of Zelda was nominated. Um, you know, so there was a lot more games nominated that actually made it in. Oh, Tetris, of course. Tetris was the sixth game ah. uh, that made it in. Yeah. So there you go. So yeah, Pong, Pac-Man, Mario Brothers, World of Warcraft, Tetris, and Doom were the six games that were nominated and, and put in. And basically, uh, there were four criteria. That were that were looked at, um, basically when it came to uh, whether or not they could get in. It was icon status, longevity, uh, geographical reach, and influence. So when you look at all those games, you know, in terms of worldwide appeal, you know, I mean, especially games like Mario Brothers, obviously had to be in first class because yeah, I think everybody knows at this point what Mario Brothers is. Tetris was, you know, you know. Tetris, Pac-Man, Pong, of course, the first video game. You know, I think these were, were shoe-ins. I was personally a little surprised by World of Warcraft and Doom getting in ahead of things like um, The Legend of Zelda or even, honestly, even like Minecraft, considering how big of a, uh, a phenomenon that's been, which was also up for the, uh, for the uh, Hall of Fame. But well, I think that one kind of fell short because it had, Minecraft hasn't been around as long as the others. Yeah, I kind of saw Doom simply because Doom was, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's probably like the first really, like first-person shooter game that people were really addicted to. And I feel like, you know, in retrospect, um, when you play uh, any first-person shooter now, it's basically Doom, just more, it's just more little add-ons to it. You know, you have... No, that's true. I mean, what Doom did for the first-person shooter genre, and what it also did for violence in games. I mean, Doom and Mortal Kombat were kind of like that one-two punch that kind of really, really had a lot of blood, a lot of gore, and kind of had people talking about, you know, violent video games and, and what they could mean for, you know, kids playing them and led to the creation of the ESRB. So in that regard, I could see, I could definitely see uh, Doom. But again, I think World of Warcraft, especially because World of Warcraft has become less less relevant in recent years. Yeah. Whereas, whereas you mentioned, you know, Mario Brothers, Tetris, Pong, Pac-Man, and, you know, Doom, like, I think, you know, the fact that, um, you know, next week at E3, uh, we're expecting Bethesda to talk about a new Doom, you know, like, we're, you know, the fact that Doom still has this fan base and still has these people who are still clamoring for more and clamoring for new ones, 
Whereas I think World of Warcraft, I mean, you look at it and their subscriber numbers are constantly going down and, you know, uh, Blizzard is looking at new business models and, you know, all that other stuff. That I was a little, again, I was a little surprised. I understand, but I was a little surprised that that one made it in that, out of the, the top six. All right, great. We're talking with Ray Carcillo, the review editor at Electronic Gaming Monthly, egmnow.com and raycarcillo.com. All right, we got uh, Ultra C Street Fighter IV. Um, now, this was released with a little bit of controversy. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Uh, well, this was obviously this a port, ported to PS4 uh, two weeks ago now, and this was supposed to be the ultimate version of Ultra Street Fighter IV, and... It wasn't. It was actually. It was actually pretty broken when the game launched two weeks ago. Oh. Uh, so there was a lot of people who were really, uh, and, and understandably so, uh, frustrated when they upgraded from the PS3 or Xbox 360 version to the PS4 version, which is what it's, exclu it's exclusive on next gen on PS4 right now. Um, and the game, I mean, it's already it's already been patched a couple of times to fix some things. But especially for people who, you know, we talk about uh, the community, the uh, competitive fighting community uh, a lot, um, there's a lot of lag. There's a lot of technical issues that would appear, especially if you're fighting competitively with the game. And, of course, Ultra Street Fighter 4 is in all of the fighting tournaments. Uh, for the PS4 version to have as much lag as it did at launch was a huge, huge deal in the fighting community. Mm. Now, uh, one of the things I, I, I definitely want to know, as far as like, I mean, what's gonna with all these glitches and everything? I mean, what does it mean for you know the next title? Because they're already working on a Street Fighter Five for 2016. So, are they gonna you know beta test this uh, more than they would any other one? Well, I mean, my hope is that they would do something like that, but I think that what it what more than anything, Ultra Street Fighter 4 for PS4 feels more like this was a test run with the new hardware. And I think that the mistakes they made here, they'll be able to learn from them in terms of Ultra, in terms of Street Fighter 5. At least that's what I'm hoping. Because now they'll have a more familiarity developing with the new system. They'll have more familiarity, you know, what people expect from the controls when it gets out there. So in a way, Ultra Street Fighter 4 may actually kind of have been the beta test for for Street Fighter Five when it comes out uh, sometime in the first half of next year. All right, great. With all the uh, talk about glitches, uh, what are some of the features that that Street Fighter Four actually has? Well, of course, at this point, because the game has been out for a couple of years, um, the Ultra Street Fighter Four version for PS4 um, has all the DLC, has all the unlockables. Basically, it comes with every everything that you could have. You know, all the costumes. All the different modes. It'll be full, full version of, of Street Fighter Four. So everything that you might have bought DLC wise for PS3 or Xbox 360 comes with the disc, comes with the download, already set for PS4. So it has everything, and of course, obviously, it has some bugs, but it, you know, have all the it's going to have you know patch support, and it's going to be continue to be tweaked and supported up until Street Fighter Five releases. All right, great. And last but not least, Nintendo is known for having family-friendly games. Now, now, Splatoon is like one of this like first like post-apocalyptic game. Is this the closest that that Nintendo is going to get to making something for a more mature uh, audience? <laughs> um, I, mean, I really wouldn't consider. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't really consider Splatoon truly post-apocalyptic when you can when you think of 
all the post-apocalyptic stuff that you know that we've seen, like Mad Max and all those other great you know movies and games. Um, I mean, it's rated E ten plus for a reason, right? Because it's it kind of this fun, campy, um, paint by numbers. It's a shooter, but there's no blood. People don't get hurt. They only get knocked out. Um, do I think this is as close as Nintendo will get to something like that? I don't know about. I don't. I don't know. I think Nintendo, if they really, really had something they believed in and had an IP they, that they felt that they could get behind, I think they would be willing to take the kid gloves off and give him, you know, an end game here and there. I mean, it is, it is rare, and it's been a very long time. Um, I think the appeal of Splatoon to people is because it's a shooter that isn't rated M, right? It, it, it gets away from all the blood and the gore and the greenness. And it's just colorful and fun and kind of ridiculous. <laughs> so I think that was kind of they were trying to be kind of like counterculture when when it came to shooters when they came out with Splatoon. I think they did a great job with it. All right, great, and there you have it, Ray Carcillo, View Editor at Electronic Gaming Monthly, egmnow.com, raycarcillo.com. Hey, make sure you check him out on Facebook as well as Ray Carcillo, all one word on Facebook. And if you want to follow him on Twitter, you most most certainly can. It's at Ray Carcillo. Make sure you check him out. Make sure you check out Ultra Street Fighter 4. Hopefully, he worked out all those bugs. And Splatoon. Make sure, make sure you guys check that out. Hey, Ray, thanks so much for joining us, man. No problem, Sean. Thanks for having me. And we'll be back right after this.